Well, good morning, and happy Memorial Day, or Memorial Weekend, uh, as it's a time when we remember those who have fallen for our freedoms, so happy Memorial Day. Uh, man, most of you know, but we had a group of youth this past week, a group of youth this past week, uh, over in Spavanaugh, and uh, we put on a missions VBS uh, and man, it was fun. It was a blast. They kept me up way later than I needed to be up. Uh, so I didn't sleep much, but I did have a good time, and it was awesome seeing those youth uh, each take uh, a step out of their comfort zone and just serve. There was group leaders, there was arts and crafts, there was singing and music and different acts and scenes that some of them had to do. Uh, and so it was good to see them uh, step out and be faithful to what God has called them to do. And so that was fun. But at, as we was down there through the week, kind of continuing my study, wondering, hey, what am I going to preach on Sunday, knowing that it was coming and not getting very much sleep. I'm like, I need to try to get a little bit of a head start on this. Uh, the youth, one, on Sunday mornings have been going through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, uh, there's a term that's flung in there all the time about the people and how they were behaving in Jeremiah's time. And that term is backsliding. They were a backsliding people. They were backsliders. And so kind of had that on my mind because we've been studying through Jeremiah. Uh, we did a couple of devotions with the youth and we ended up in Mark chapter 14. And again, backsliding seemed to pop up in where we studied. And so this morning... I want to talk to you guys about the anatomy of a backslider. And so you can go to Mark chapter 14 and verses 27 is where we will start reading. Mark chapter 14 and verse 27. Before uh, I read that and we get started, one, just to kind of get us all started on the same page, I want to give you the definition of anatomy and the definition of a backslider because I had when we was kind of doing some of this with our youth, I had some of them not know what anatomy was. So uh, anatomy, it's the structure or the makeup of someone or something. So we're going to look at the structure or the makeup of a backslider or a backsliding people. And then a backslider or two backslide is to turn away and to go into the opposite direction of a commitment. So, as Christians, that is to turn away from Christ and head in the opposite direction. Okay? So, where we're about to pick up reading, uh, the plot to kill Jesus has already happened. They've set in the Lord's Supper. Uh, Judas is about to come and betray Jesus. And right here where we're picking up, Jesus has got that overwhelming, that sorrowful feeling, uh, and he wants to go out and pray. Uh, but before he does, he's telling his disciples, his followers that are there, you're about to be caused to stumble. And so that's kind of where we're at in the picture. And we know that he's about to be taken. He's about to be persecuted, beaten, hung on the cross, and then uh, buried, and three days later rose again. So, verse 27, the anatomy of a backslider. It says, and I'm going to read through verse 31 on this per first part. It says, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. 
Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke even more vehemently, if I die, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So, the anatomy of a backslider. The first thing we see, and we're going to learn from the example of Peter, is the first step is pride. Uh, you see right here, Jesus is trying to explain what's about to happen. And he even tells them that they're going to be scared, they're going to be scattered, they're going to stumble. And Peter, uh, huh, say what you want to about all them, Jesus. But I ain't going to be made to stumble. I'll be just fine. Uh, it kind of begins to compare himself. And that's what pride causes us to do. We begin to look at him and her and say, hey, well, I'm doing better than her. I'm doing better than him. I serve uh, in church. I read my Bible. I'm, I'm at church more consistently. Uh, and then we get, begin to puff ourselves up. Uh, and then we think because we're better than these few that we're comparing ourselves to, that we, we got it. We can do it on our own. We don't need Jesus. And so he tells him, uh, no, you can say what you want about that, the others, but I'm not going to be made to stumble. I, I, I'll be here. I won't fall. And Jesus comes back a second time and says, Assuredly, I say to you that even today, before the night's over, this night, uh, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he comes back almost even stronger. No, even if I have to die with you, I'm here. I'm not going to deny you. And so prideful. And our pride causes us, one, to compare with other people like that. We begin to compare and say, hey, we're better than them or maybe we're better than the average. Uh, and it also causes us, when we are prideful, when we are arrogant, when we are puffed up, um, we're pretty much telling Jesus, telling God, maybe not face-to-face -face like Peter right here, but we're telling him, hey, we don't need you. We can do this on our own. Because that's what Peter's doing. He's telling Jesus, if, you're, if they're about to take you, they're about to, well, I'll be fine without you. Uh, and Jesus knows that that's not the case. They've never, up to this point, they've had Jesus and followed him through his ministry and had him. And he's been there. Uh, they've got to see the miracles. They've got to see the things that he's done. And we're going to see very soon in this passage that when he's gone, everything changes for a bit. Uh, they do They do scatter, they do stumble, they do fall. And so pride was the first thing that we see Peter. And pride's often the first step in our backsliding because, uh, one, humility uh, is the first step to enter into the kingdom of God. We've got to come to ourselves and understand that we can't make it on our own by our own doings, but we need Jesus. And so when we backslide, when we turn away, uh, it's often because we begin to think that we are good enough to do things on our own. And so pride was the first step. And Peter uh, definitely was getting a little prideful when he said, I won't stumble, I won't fall. And it makes me think when I talk about pride, and pride comes before the fall. We know Proverbs uh, eighteen sixteen says, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Uh, and that's so true. I look at sports, and you can see it in sports all the time. Uh, Teams step on the floor, and there's no doubt that this team is the best team. They're more athletic. They got the size. They got the skill. Uh, you can see in warm-ups, they got the sharpshooters. They got everything that they need to beat this team over here. You're looking at this team, and like, there's no athletes over here. They don't even look like they've picked up a ball. Uh, and you can even see it as fans. Uh, just, you're setting up in the stands. You're thinking, boy, this is about to be ugly. And coaches, too. Coaches can go into games. We're way better than them. And even maybe we're way worse than them. Uh, but 
because of that pride, we begin, they begin to overlook that other team, think they don't have to show up and actually play the game of basketball or the game of whatever uh, sport it is. And because of it, uh, before you know it, they've been upset. The underdog's taking a win. And we see that all the time in, in March Madness. Uh, probably my favorite time of year is March. I love watching those games. And just a few years ago, I believe it was 2017, 2018, we've seen the first time ever that a 16 seed beat a one seed and I would dare to say that that number one probably overlooked uh, that 16 seed and for the first time it happened but the two that are the most recent and uh, happens fairly often is a two seed getting upset by a 15 seed and in 2021 so last year's uh, ORU right here in Tulsa went up against Ohio State in the first round as a 15 and a two seed and they upset them and went on to upset a few others making it to the elite eight i believe and so ohio state they're just known as a giant in the ncaa division one sports not just basketball even football uh they they, they are good kind of across the boards at everything but they overlooked uh that first round oh it's just oru who are they uh, and it cost them. They failed. They got beat. They got upset. But then this past year, some of you may remember, St. Peter's Peacocks. Uh, they were the number 15 seed, and they went up first round against one of the Blue Bloods. That is Kentucky. Uh, basketball school has been for a long time, and I can guarantee you that those Kentucky players, when they stepped out on the floor, a bunch of big athletic five-star athletes looked over there and said, these kids ain't going to run with us. And sure enough, at the end of the game, St. Peter's Peacocks upset them and did the same thing as ORU did the year before. Went on, won a couple games, upsetting a few others uh, in, in their run. And so pride, if we ain't careful, it can cause us to fall. And that's what it does right here for Peter. And Jesus even warned him, this is going to cause you to fall because you think you're too good, because you think you're too good to stumble. Uh, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. And so uh, pride, that's the first step. And then number two, lazy. Peter was lazy. He got lazy. Verses 32 through 42. It says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And Peter, James, John went with him. And he began to tr be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further, fell on the ground, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found, sleep he found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know how to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So he got lazy. And <clears throat> from being prideful, uh, he kind of took that guard down, and then he gets lazy. Jesus tells them the first time, hey, sit here and watch. And we know, again, from the verses, Jesus is under an exceedingly sorrow, 
uh, or an exceeding sorrow. And so he's wanting to go out, he's wanting to pray, and he tells Peter and the disciples, watch here, wait here. And when he comes back, what are they doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. And so he tells them again, and he calls out Simon, he calls out Peter first, or foremost, like he's, hey, it makes me wonder if because of what just happened in a four or five verses later, he says, hey, Peter, you just said that you wasn't going to be made to stumble. You just said that you wouldn't deny me. What are you doing sleeping? Uh, and so he tells him again, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation, and even gives him, hey, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know how you said you could do it on your own? That flesh is weak. You probably are to make sure you're filled with the Spirit and ready. We know the Spirit ain't with them, but they had Jesus there, right? Uh, and so he tells them, watch again, pray, and he comes back. Again, they're sleeping, and then again. And so uh, they got lazy, and just like with those sports, those teams that overlook uh, out of pride and out of kind of puffed up, hey, we're better than them, when they step on the floor, oftentimes out of that pride, out of that arrogance of we're better than them, we don't really need to do anything besides show up, they begin to play lazy basketball or they begin to play lazy football or they begin to play lazy whatever sport it may be. They get lazy on defense. Instead of getting down in defensive stance, playing good defense, they kind of just stand up straight, play defense like a stick instead of a tree, right? Uh, and then on offense, they take lazy shots. They play uh, very opposite of how they normally play. They're not cutting, getting good looks at the rim. Instead, they're shooting settling for, for uh, easy shots instead of going and getting what they, they can get as those far more superior athletes or uh, players. And so they begin to get lazy, and then they get caught off guard because when they come that second time, it says their eyes are heavy, and they didn't even know what to answer him. And that's what happens when we get lazy. We get caught off guard. When those things come, that team's sitting there playing, they got lazy, and then the next thing they look up, and there's three minutes left, and they're down. Uh-oh. And then it's a scramble. We've got to try to get back in this game. We've got to try to fight back. And oftentimes it's too late. And so we cannot get lazy. Peter was told to watch. He was told to pray. Uh, instead, he was sleeping. He was slumbering and he was being lazy. And one of the things we talked about when we discussed a little bit of this with the youth is the first thing that goes when we hit snooze and we decide to sleep in and we get lazy is always the spiritual. We never... Uh, we always wake up and we put, well, I'll read my Bible later, or I'll, pr I'll make sure I have my quiet time later. Uh, that seems to be the first thing we push out of the way, because we got to shower, we got to get some breakfast, we got to go do these things so we can get ready for our day of work, of school. Uh, and so I challenged our youth the next time that they decide to be lazy and they ain't disciplined enough to wake up, and they hit snooze once or twice or maybe five or six times, however many times it ends up being, uh, and I challenge you today, when that happens to you, don't push off the spiritual stuff. Instead of being spiritually dirty and unprepared and caught off guard, uh, wake up and say, hey, I'm going to get cleaned up spiritually through his word and prayer. I'm going to get fed up spiritually through his word and prayer. And go ahead and let, go start your day spiritually cleaned up, spiritually prepared, spiritually fed, instead of physically cleaned up, fed up, and prepared, right? Uh, yeah, you may have to go to work dirty, but I promise you'll have a lot better day if you're spiritually cleaned and prepared than if you're physically cleaned and prepared. So that's the challenge. Instead of pushing off the things spiritually, getting in the Word, having that quiet time, uh, 
push off them other things. And then I think you'll find yourself probably waking up to the first alarm. Uh, because we know we don't want to go to work or we don't go, want to go to those places, school, uh, smelling dirty, and not being so delightful to the people around us, right? Uh, so he was lazy. He got lazy, and then he was caught off guard. And so uh, the next thing, and that is in verse 54, and I'm actually going to read verses 53 and 54, we see Peter now gets cowardly. And it says in verse 53, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself by the fire. He got cowardly, and that's what happens. We get prideful, think we can do it on our own. We think we can take on the game of life and uh, our battles on our own. Uh, Then we get lazy because we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. And then it becomes a thing where we start to get cowardly. Uh, and I, I compared this with these young people, and I think this may be a little more relevant for young people uh, just because of the peer pressure and temptations in school. When you go into school, and it's easy when you're around your Christian friends, maybe at an FCA breakfast or meetup, it's easy to talk about Jesus. It's easy to have those conversations. But what happens when you get in front of those friends that you know don't have nothing to do with Jesus and don't want nothing to do with Jesus. Are you still talking about him? Are you still uh, letting them know that you have a relationship? Or do you kind of distance yourself from Jesus? Say, Jesus, I'm going to go hang out with this crowd. I need you to stay right here because they don't want to hear about you. Uh, They might reject me. They might unfriend me. uh, Whatever. No, we need to be bold. We're not called. And that's, that's what Peter, Peter takes off through here. And after all this has went down, they've got Jesus now. He's scared to death, and he's keeping his distance. He's like, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to follow in a way that I'm the one that knows where I'm following Jesus, but no one else knows that I'm following Jesus. And so he's distancing himself, uh, and we know that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be ashamed of, of Jesus. We're not supposed to be ashamed to be a Christian. We need to be bold in our faith Paul says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. What we have is uh, the power to save the lost, right? We have a message. We have Jesus who can save and change lives forever. And so we better not uh, be ashamed of that. We better be bold and carry that out no matter where we go and no matter what the circumstances might be. And just to think about how many missed opportunities uh, there's been just because of fear and that, that little bit of cowardice creeping into our lives, like knowing I need to share with a friend or knowing I need to share with a family member, but that fear uh, overcame me, and so I stepped back and I didn't do that. And we should not let that happen. We should always be looking for those opportunities, and when they come, overcome the fear with Jesus and go share Jesus. And so he got cowardly. Uh, number four, still in verse 54, uh, he's gotten prideful, arrogant, thinking he doesn't need Jesus to do it. And then he gets lazy, gets caught off guard, gets cowardly, not wanting people to see him with Jesus, following at a distance. And so now it's led up to he's gotten worldly. Verse 54, it says, But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Right. So as we backslide, right, this the anatomy of backsliding, As we begin to backslide more and more and veer off and get away from the God, we begin to look more like the world 
and less like a Christian. And that's what Peter done. He gets in here. He's already a little bit ashamed. I don't want to get caught too close to him. Well, then as he gets into the courtyard, he begins to hang out with the lost and partake of their comforts, right? He's sitting amongst the servants and he's warming himself at their fire. And that is just shows us when we get to hanging out, we get to backside and hanging out with the world, slowly it gets us deeper and deeper and we begin to enjoy those comforts, enjoy those sins that we're indulging in. Uh, And then before you know it, we don't look any different than the world. We look just like one of them. And that's not what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to be separated, set apart. Um, We discussed this one day as the youth too. We're supposed to look different and that should be in a good way. Last week, I believe it was, Dad said, I was invited to church as a kid, but when I went to church, I didn't want to be a part of what they had because they all looked somber and sad and grouchy, right? As Christians, we should be set apart, look different, the way we live, the way we act, but we should also be set apart in that we should have what other people should want. Uh, We should be happy. We should be joyful. We got Jesus inside of us, and they should know that what we got is a good thing. And so when people look at us, they should be able to tell the difference. And Peter, he went right in the midst of them. He was hanging out with them, enjoying their comforts as he continues in this backsliding. And again, uh, back to that sports analogy, those teams that overlook, uh, they they get lazy then. And when you get lazy, uh, especially, and I'm sure some of us have heard these terms, I know we got some coaches and stuff in here, playing to the opponent, right? Oh, you're terrible at it. Oh, you will play to their opponent uh, in football often right? They're better. They got the athletes, they got the ball players, they got the skill, but they step on the field with someone, the court with someone that's not got the talent that they got, and they begin to play down. And that's what happens when those good teams step on, they get lazy, then they start using and playing with some of the same bad habits that the team that's not as good plays with. They get sloppy, uh, they get lazy, they take bad shots, they get where they're not being fundamentally sound in what they're doing. And so that's what happens. When we get to hanging out with the world, we, we begin to take some of their bad habits. We can't uh, continue being and keeping our walk with Christ when we're hanging out with the world uh, because they affect us. And 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us that bad company corrupts good habits. And I believe this was a, a quote by Spurgeon that says, you cannot flirt with the world and walk away untouched. And that's exactly what we need to understand as Christians. That should be our concern. When we're out doing those things, when we're flirting with these worldly things and enjoying the comforts of the world and what the world has to offer us, uh, we can't come away untouched. We're going to be impacted or affected in some way or another. It's going to cause, even if that uh, is that we end up being a stumbling block to someone else because they see it from an outsider's perspective and say, well, he said he was a Christian or she said she was a Christian. And now, look, they're hanging out at the same places I'm hanging out, doing the same things I'm doing when they know they shouldn't be. And so uh, we can't hang out with the world. We can't be a part of the world or fit in with the world and not be impacted by it. And so that's... That's the fourth thing that Peter got caught into. He was hanging out with them. He was enjoying their comforts, enjoying their pleasures. And again, just kind of diving deeper and deeper into this backsliding. And then fifthly, and that's when our backsliding kind of becomes full blossom and it's outright denial. And I'm going to read verses 66 through 71 
of Mark 14. It says, Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, uh, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those around who stood by, This one is, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them. You are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And a second time the rooster crowed, and then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. So, uh, he got prideful, arrogant, uh, got prideful, arrogant, thinking he could do it on his own. It led to him being lazy, unprepared, and then caught off guard. Then he was ashamed and afraid, cowarded down to being a follower of Jesus after he had just said, even if it's to death. Uh, And then he finds himself away from Jesus, enjoying the comforts of the world, fitting in with what they're doing. And then it leads to outright denial of being a follower or being acquainted even with Jesus. He says, I don't know. I don't even understand what you're talking about. I don't know this man of whom you speak. Deny, deny, deny. And so uh, two types of denial that we're going to talk about. And this is, again, something that we got into with our youth. The first one is exactly what Peter did, and that is with our lips. He just outright told them, I don't know who Jesus is. I'm not affiliated with him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. And he just outright denied him face-to-face with the people who were coming to him saying, I think you're one of them. I think, like, right, you're a follower. We've seen you with him. And he just outright denied him. But the second one, uh, and I think this one probably happens more often, and maybe we just don't know it, and that is we deny him with our living. And what we got to talking about was how we live, one, part of that being set apart, not being worldly. When we're fitting in with the world, we're denying pretty much what God's called us to be. He's called us to be set apart, and so we're denying that with how we're living and acting like the world when we're called uh, to live differently. But then, two, that's how we use our gift. Because we've all got a gift, and we're all called to use it, right? And so uh, when we have got our gift, and we know our gift, and we know our purpose, and God's called us to use our gift and use our purpose, and we're not using that, we're denying Him and the, the ability that He's given us to go and impact the world for His kingdom. And so uh, you do that with your living, you do that with your lips, and you better be careful because often uh, we're unaware of when we're doing it, when we're living. And this this quote is by Hall of Fame basketball coach uh, Don Meyer, and he's talking to his athletes, and it fits uh, for us as Christians very well. And it says, find your unique gift, find your talent, develop it to the fullest, and then give your gift away every day. If there's a day that you don't give your gift away, it's a wasted day. And as Christians, we need to do the same thing. We need to find our unique gift. We all have a gift. We're all, we're all apart. We all have a part. We just got to find that niche, find that, that, 
thing that we're good at, that purpose that God's called us to. It was Paul that said to Timothy, stir up the gift inside of you. That means it takes a little bit of effort on our part. So if you're sitting there saying, I don't know, I don't know, God hasn't told me, well, maybe you need to do a little more digging. Uh, so you got to find that gift, just as Coach said. And then he said, develop it to the fullest. We should, as Christians, want to develop our gift to the fullest. We should want to daily wake up, get in the Word, get in touch with God, ask Him, how can we develop, how can we grow as a Christian, and how can I use my gift even more and more to impact your kingdom? And then understand that we should give it away every day. As Christians, uh, we should be serving others every day, finding a way. One person, multiple people, uh, we should find a way to serve and use our gift to give away to other people every single day. And then understanding if, if there's a day that we don't, it's just a waste of day. Uh, and we don't want to have wasted days down here on earth because we know we don't have many days down here. And so we better be uh, using those gifts, using those uh, callings, those talents to go and serve other people, give that gift away, and allow God to use it for his glory and our good. And so uh, that's the anatomy of backsliding. And again, we look at Peter and in verse 72, it's clear that the conviction came. And that says, a second time the rooster crowed, and Peter came to mind that Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And then when he thought about it, he wept. So he realized what he had done. Did he learn from it? I'd say so. So how do we guard against the, the backsliding? How do we guard against this anatomy of a backslider? We're going to flip over to First Peter chapter 5. So he was our example of what not to do, but he also give us an example of what to do, how we can guard against uh, falling into that backsliding uh, mentality. And so how do we guard against it? First Peter chapter 5, verse 11. And I'll read that. That says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who calls us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, I'd say Peter probably learned from... Maybe the hard way. He had to learn the hard way because he fell into the backsliding. But I think he learned from uh, what he went through back in Mark. And then, under the inspiration of God, he writes to tell us so we don't have to fall into that same mistake. And so if we want to guard against uh, being a backslider, one, we need to be humble. Verse 5 and 6, he says, Therefore, or, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. We need to understand that uh, it's all because of Jesus that we're, we can do what we do. He's privileged us with our gifts, with our talents. He's privileged us uh, with life, 
uh, and understanding that without him we can do nothing. Mike actually mentioned that over at Tahlequah in the first service, uh, in the song service, and we need to understand without him we can do nothing. He is above us and we are, under, we are below him. So humble yourself. Uh, be ready to serve. And then number two, we need to be vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant. And that is protecting against that laziness. If we are alert and we're ready and we're focused on what we are supposed to do, we're vigilant and we're ready to pr- press on and to push forward. Uh, and he's telling you, you need to do that. Why? Well, because we have an adversary who walks around. He's waiting to catch you off guard. If we're caught sleeping, if we're caught uh, not watching and praying as Peter was, the devil's ready to come in and stick us and get us and catch us off guard. And so we need to be vigilant. We need to be sober. We need to be alert and ready each day as we uh, wake up and head into our day. Number three, uh, we need to glorify God, right? He fell into that cowardice, that cowardly moment of falling at a distance. Well, we need to understand uh, that we're here to glorify God. And I'm actually going to backtrack a little bit. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Even in the midst of the suffering, that rejection that you may be afraid of, uh, friends unfriending, whatever it may be, even death, uh, we need to understand we shouldn't be ashamed to go tell someone about Jesus. We shouldn't be ashamed of the message that we have, uh, and that is a message of hope, a message of life, and we need to take it to a lost and dying world. But then number four, to guard against being worldly and falling into that worldly living, we need to resist the devil and be steadfast in the faith. Verse 8 and 9 it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary walks about, the adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We need to resist the devil. We've got to wake up, and again, that's part of being prepared each day. Uh, how do you resist the devil? Get in his word. Be steadfast in the faith. Make sure you're in tune and in touch with God and what he has for you. Uh, and that's how you can resist him. And I like that they throw a little bit of encouragement thrown in here by uh, Peter. Understanding the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We ain't the only ones that go through these tough times. We ain't the only ones that handle these temptations. And we even have each other uh, to lean on through these temptations, through this life that we're living in. And so we need to understand that we have brothers and sisters that can help us and keep us steadfast, keep us resisting the devil. And so number five, how we can guard against denying him. And that is... One verse eleven says, "To him be the glory, the honor, and the, the glory and the dominion forever and ever." But also jumping back again, First Peter chapter three verse fifteen says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." We need to always be ready, not to deny. Peter did it the wrong way the first time, but he understood by the time he wrote. Uh, the book of Peter, hey, I got to always be ready to give a defense. I got to always be ready to tell someone why. Why do I got the joy in my heart? Why do I look different? Why am I set apart? And that is because of Jesus and what he's done in our life. And so uh, you want to uh, 
stay away to guard against backsliding. You need to be humble, be vigilant, glorify God, resist the devil, and be steadfast, and then always be ready to give a defense. Always be ready uh, to tell someone why and how Jesus has impacted your life. And so as I close, and, and Mike can come up and start uh, with the music. Uh, again, I told you before we started, the backslide, the definition was to turn away and to go in the opposite direction of. And that was of a commitment, right? As a Christian, we have committed our lives to Christ. And so when we backslide, we turn away. We fall away and go in the opposite direction. So this message was more for Christians. But I do want uh, everyone to understand, as a backslider, that means you are saved, right? And so if you're here and you're lost and... uh, you're, you're not backsliding, you're just lost. You haven't first turned and committed to Christ. And so as the altars open up, everyone stands, head bowed, eyes closed. I hope Christians would lead the way first. Maybe you're dealing with some of these uh, components of backsliding. Maybe not. Uh, but if you're lost and need Jesus, we'd love to show you how to do that today. Father, I come to you. I thank you. I praise you. I just glorify you here this morning. I ask that you would just move in a way that's pleasing to you, Father. I pray that people would respond uh, to your spirit moving in them. I pray if anyone does not know who you are, that they would come forward and take care of that today. I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.